Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. When I go with friends, it's so funny because my friends are always like, oh, I don't want to go bowling with you. Like, uh. or, you know, when we do go bowling, everyone's like, oh, everyone's going to, you know, everyone try to beat Jack. And it's just like, that's. Uh, I'm going to sound like a major dude. I like all your friends are the Hulk, by the way. Everybody's the Hulk. Everybody's bigger (laughs) than me and, like, large. Everyone's got their thing. Hey, gang, this is it. Episode 10 of Dexter New Blood just came out yesterday and we are going to talk about it today i am here with you one of your co-hosts teddy reed of iron lake no my name's david magadoff and with me as ever is my wonderful co-host and dexter fanatic herself miss claire kramer hi claire hi david teddy david it was it was very (sighs) nice to see you uh in this episode which we'll talk about but why don't you introduce our guest well we have a wonderful guest we have a wonderful guest coming up later this episode yes Harrison himself, Jack Alcott. You know him as uh, what did I what did I just say? Harrison. Uh, and he's going to talk about his love of bowling. But before we roll that ball down the lane, we have a very special guest. As you guys know, we've had on the wonderful creators of Dexter New Blood. Now we have the showrunner himself. Yes, uh, a true mitzvah in our midst. This is Clyde Phillips. Hello, Clyde. Hi, David. Hi, Claire. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Clyde, not only are the showrunner, which, by the way, for uh, in layman's terms means this is the person who is essentially the grand poobah. Let's be real, Clyde. You're the man. And it is a pleasure to have you on today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I know this is a very this is going to be like the beginning of, I'm sure, a million interviews or probably we're hitting you somewhere in the middle. I I just really want to start out and say, like, what made this the right moment for Dexter New Blood and to bring Michael C. Hall back to the character that is so beloved? What made now the moment after, you know, so long? Well, there had been a couple of attempts to try to put the show together and, and they hadn't worked out. Really, what made this the time was that Michael was ready. This was two and a half years ago. On July 1st, 2019, I got a call from Gary Levine, who's the president of Showtime and a dear friend of mine. And he said, that was on Martha's Vineyard at the time. And he said, um, I'm going to be in New York. Do you want to have lunch? I said, Gary, you've got two daughters who live in New York. You don't want to have lunch with me. So if this is business. Let's just talk. And he said, OK, you're right. I'm busted. Michael's ready and he wants you and we want you. Can you come up with what the show would be? and um, pitch it to Michael. 
if you're interested. And I said, are you kidding me? Of course I'm interested. <laughs> and um, uh, I spent about, this is back in the days of Skype. I Skyped with my writing assistant um, in LA and we banged it around and banged it around and came up with the show. And then I flew to New York, pitched it to Michael. And Michael and I had stayed in contact all these years. Michael and Marcos and I are all friends. In fact, we used to live around the corner from each other when we were all in LA and we'd have barbecues every weekend. Any event, I pitched it to Michael. Halfway through the pitch, he stood up. He said, I love it. I'm in. Gave me a hug. Got back in the in the uh, town car, going back to the airport. The whole, whole thing took one day. And um, on the way back to the airport, I called Gary Levine, president of the network, who's a very busy guy, who snatched up the phone and said, well... And I said, Michael loves it. He's in. And Gary said, go hire a writing room. And now that doesn't mean go figure out the pilot. You know, that means we're making this show. Mm -hmm. So that that's the impetus. That's amazing. I mean, I was a huge fan of the original run. And I, I have to say, after you left, after season four, I was not as much of a fan. So when it was announced that you were coming back with Dexter, I think the components would have had to been you, Michael. And, you know, it, it was lucky that Jennifer Carpenter was available and able to come in and do the Harry role as Deb. You know, and we and we jumped through a lot of hoops and had a very tough negotiation to get Marcos out of his contract at uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, and thank God we did. I mean, he's Marcos told me director. that story. It is. Yes. It is epic. I've never yeah. heard of more a story of someone <laughs> someone trying to direct uh, something that he's not allowed to direct and being wanted more uh, by this crew that you guys were able to get him. It's amazing. So, Clyde, I'm going to go right to this. During, I remember being on set one day, and Marcos, I think, had a cut on his iPad of the death scene. And I was like, well, I got to I gotta over the shoulder this moment and see how it looks. And I remember being like, I had chills. And obviously, David, moved. you're talking about the Dexter, Michael C. Hall, Jim Lindsay, Dexter Morgan death scene. Yes. There's a lot of yes, death scenes yes. in Dexter. Let's just get that clear. You were talking this about. This is true. <laughs> This is if you're yeah, this is the episode. Yes, this is the episode 10 recap. Harrison kills Dexter. Let's be real. Is there any other way that you were imagining? Because I've read all the interviews, Clyde, and we've talked. I know this was the inevitable thing, and I think it's cool. But I think a question that maybe hasn't been asked was the way in which Harrison killed Dexter, the way that we see it with the gun that Dexter gives him as a gift. Was this always the only way this was going to happen? Or were there other ideas pitched around of like how Harrison was going to do it? Well, there were other, other ideas pitched around. However, this was always going to be it because this is what I wanted to do. <laughs> um, but I, I'd listened to my writing room intently and generously. Um, and if some, it's always best idea wins. And as far as I'm concerned, this was, this remained the best idea. It's, it, you know, it's the concept of Chekhov's gun which is if you show a gun earlier in the act, that's going to, it's going to be never put later. a loaded gun on stage that you're not going to shoot. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. If there's a gun, if there's a gun on the mantelpiece, it's going to be used. And it's also the whole concept in part of it. I mean, I, I wrote this thing. I just watched it again the other night with my wife and I was weeping. It's beautiful. A lot of this it was written uh, with blood in my pen. I had a terrible childhood years and years of therapy. I'm, a healthy person. And that notwithstanding, there is the psychological concept of, in, in, in healthier terms, 
of the son needs to kill the father in order to get on with his life, whether it's in business or relationships or family or whatever it is. And that's all metaphorical, of course. And we did it literally. Well, there was also the moment, um, and anyone who is like, you know, a Dexter, a real Dexter fanatic will notice it. Harrison says, like, look at what you've done. Look at what you've done, which is, of course, what Dexter says in season one, episode one. Episode one, yes. Before his first kill, you know, and you're like. Open your eyes and look at what you've done. Yeah. And it was like this great moment. I know for a long time, or at least, you know, it's been publicized that you wanted to have Dexter atone for his sins. That was definitely the ending. But in the father-son way, to me as a viewer was sort of a new concept that was introduced this season. Cause for a long time, I think, and you teased this a little in the finale, you, you know, Dexter goes to death row or Dexter is in prison and Dexter has to, you know, atone there. Was there ever a time before you developed the Harrison character and the sort of like triangulation of father son relationships for Dexter new blood that you entertained that idea? Well, no, I had already, spewed that idea out at the end of episode eight to uh, entertainment weekly which was picked up all over the internet because of people <laughs> so dis people so disliked the um season eight finale so i wasn't going to do something that was expected and let's be clear how many shows get a second chance at doing a finale nobody you know, never nobody yeah nobody ever as far as i know <laughs> and I also wasn't going to have him wake up in bed with Suzanne Plachette next to him, you know, <laughs> for anybody in the audience that's uh, over 20. And I just wanted it to be authentic. I mean, Dexter realizes that all of these innocent people, after they open your eyes, look at what you've done. All of these innocent people are dead because he does what he does. He also realizes, you know what? Damn it. I am a villain. I am a psychopath. As much as I try to be a human being, I can't. Um, and then he says that line that just, well, a couple of lines at the final scene that kill me, when he says, "With I want to be a better man and I want to be a better father with your help. And Harrison says, I'm not your goddamn caretaker. It's because Harrison's basically talking to an addict. Yeah. And I've had that conversation with my own father, mm. uh, who was a gambling addict. And kind of in the low-level Jewish mob in Boston. Which is basically why we're here right now, because we got thrown out of Boston by the mob and I ended up in L.A. I could have ended up in Nebraska or Utah or been a tax attorney in Austin, Texas or something. When's that show going to happen, Clyde? Yeah, right. I, I know. Really? It comes out I'm, in, I'm it comes watching. Out in, it comes out in everything I write. There you, you know? go. I mean, look at the, you know, it's all in the it's all Easter eggs in this about that stuff. I mean, it comes out in my books. I write I write mystery novels. In the, With the exploration obviously as everyone can see there was the father-son triangulation between you know Clancy and his son and Dexter and Harrison and then the Clancy and Clancy and Harrison yes relation you know everything was triangulated so nicely did was this a therapeutic season for you to get out like not necessarily as you said you've had years of therapy you're done processing your own stuff but can you put away that relationship or will you in your writing continue to explore that dynamic between father and son? I will continue to, I will continue to explore it. I mean, it's, um, it's in my marrow. It's, it's in my internal ecosystem. And, you know, just as I, because I had such a terrible father and I was born when my mother was 17. So she didn't like me either that I, I think that 
it has made me a better father mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps even a good father. You know, as you know, the last episode is called Sins of the Father. And I wrote my wife a note when she, she told me she was pregnant uh, with a little Tiffany baby spoon um, that said, sins of the sins of the father stop with me. Mm. Um, I love that. And, uh, and I've, I've tried to be a great dad to my great daughter. That's, That's awesome. So what was that final moment with Michael C. Hall? Like, you know, I mean, he, actually, the moment that really touched me is when he like, did this hand gesture over like, yes. showing Harrison where to shoot. And I'm not sure he said anything after that. He was just like, here. Well, before that, he said, take the safety off. Yeah, like, like member son, you. like I told you. Yeah. Yes, and which means I'm giving you permission to do that. It was a very, it was, an, it was a very interesting day. And we shot that scene very early in the schedule. We shot yeah. that in February. So we were always chasing weather. Whenever it snowed, we yeah. ran there. And I remember... We were shooting at the veterinarian's place, and also that scene where Dexter chases a sheep out of the out of the pen. That was all the same house, and we wanted to get a very serious scene between Jack and Michael down on film and get those two working together. So we gave up some snow and shot the therapy scene mm-hmm. there before we shot the shooting scene. Clyde Marco said that was his favorite scene in anything he's ever done in Dexter. The uh, therapy scene. Yeah, it was amazing. And Scott wrote that. The actors, I mean, basically it was, he gave Jack a chance to go to master class because, and Michael's such a generous actor. And um, and Jack's a great actor. And, and the two of them really bonded. And then now that we had this serious scene out of the way, because it was so early in the schedule, that was a Friday. Saturday, we went to the studios. And uh, because of COVID, we could not be in my office. So we cleaned out the bullpen where all the cubicles are. And we rehearsed it as if we were out in the field. If for some reason I have a baseball bat in my office, and we use that as the as the rifle prop, huh. and we we played the scene out. Just you know, first you know we just talked it through, and then they got up and put it on its feet, had questions, had suggestions, and got it down. And then the following Monday is when we shot the scene. So we had the therapy scene, the rehearsal, and then the scene. So what it was like to shoot the scene. To get back to your question, uh, it was somber it was a little bit sacred uh the crew many of whom just really didn't know the show knew that something important was going on and were very respectful of it and then there are a number of conversations we still had on the day about well what if i do this and what about that and you know i worked i worked with them on that and worked with marcos on that and then we had we had a discussion about how does dexter fall once he's shot you know we wanted to avoid the Christ-like thing. We want to avoid the angel thing. And then Michael just had this idea. He says, you know, once I'm shot, basically my brain is disconnected from my body. So I'm just going to fall. And he fell. And if you remember, he kind of fell a little bit on his side mm-hmm. with one leg over the other. And he had to be comfortable because we did a shit ton of coverage and he had to lie there. And all that, all that blood was, is, I don't know if you know, is uh, visual effects. Uh, that wasn't, that wasn't, uh, blood getting squirted out there by special effects we added all that blood later in post he's just lying there in snow with a little sweater on him that's cold yeah yeah (laughs) and then um and we had to keep him in that position because you know angela shows up and all this other stuff shows up but at the end of the scene michael called across the set which i'll never forget said he said to me yo clyde great words man i mean come on 
Yeah, I mean, that's that there's redemption just in that. Yeah. Yeah. Was there ever a thought of with all the knives, possibly Harrison using a knife? I mean, I know that would be so intimate, but at the same time, did it even cross your mind to use a different utensil other than the gun? It, it did cross our minds um, as we figured out how it was going to happen. We talked about knives. We talked about various other ways of, of taking Dexter out. But we kept coming back to the gun. And the fact that, we, you know, if, if this hadn't taken place in rural New York, maybe a rifle wouldn't be an issue because who gives a kid a rifle, uh, you know, in, in Miami or in, uh, yeah. in L.A.? Well, I like that. I like that it went from you know we knives have been prevalent the whole series, you know. So I really like that it took a turn and finished in a different way. And there was mm-hmm. there was because he was a different at the end those the last fifteen minutes he was a different Dexter like that the moment with Logan that was unexpected to me. Logan's a good person. Logan did not fit the code. The character I think started breaking down, becoming less code driven and more humanistic in a way. Well, he becomes his most human. Harrison. Yes. He, he becomes his most human in that final mm-hmm. scene. Pardon my interruption. Yes. In, in that final scene where he, where his voiceover says, I've never felt real love until now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, early on in the show, Dexter said, my sister, Deb, if I were capable of love, she'd be the one, but he was always faking it. And this, and in this moment, in this final scene, he's not faking it. He is sacrificing himself. The words that come out in the letter as Harrison's driving away, I could cry right now thinking about them. You know, if Harrison shows any dark tendencies, um, or if he doesn't, let me die so that my son can live. I mean, that's what a parent does. And that's, that's real emotion. And that's very rare for Dexter. Well, I thought it was beautifully done, Clyde, both your episodes that you had your hands the most in, which I know was episode one and this final episode before we wrap up here. Is there a moment or a scene or something of the last 10 episodes that stick out to you and any of the other episodes that just after watching them, you were like, ah, look at that. You know what? That turned out really fun. Or like, ooh, that was weird. Well, I really loved the opening of Nine that Scott wrote in Miami with Mr. Wiggles. Yeah. Um, I think that was terrific. I also loved the uh, the wrestling scene. Uh, I, I forgot which episode that's in. Because I remember Six. being there, and there were so many. You know, we had hundreds of extras, or as many as we could have with COVID. And I remember watching Marcos come onto the set. Marcos is always so prepared, right? And uh, And he's so strong, and he's the loveliest guy in the world, all at the same time. And I remember him coming onto the scene and the wrestlers were fucking around and Marcos basically, including Jack, just yelled at them. And he said, you know, this is going to be a long, tough fucking 12 hour day. And I got a hundred things I got to do with a hundred people. So no fucking around. Everybody pay attention. And I was really, really impressed with that. And the scene turned out magnificent. Yeah. Um, and also Clancy stuff. Clancy, we could not have gotten luckier than to be able to land him and his First of all, he is a person, as you know, is the greatest guy you want to hang around with. So, so um, kind. Yeah, lovely guy. In fact, he and I have a history. I've known him for decades. When he turns out to be the bad guy, when uh, we see him, A, with, first with the girls and then with Harrison, those are just amazing, threatening moments. Another scene I love, which I will confess to having had a hand in its creation, 
was the baseball scene, yeah. the baseball batting cage scene. And that was really about Harrison not being able to capture joy in his life. And that was an issue of mine when I was younger. And so he, he says, oh, I'm, I'm, this is successful. I'm hitting the ball well. Up oh, the curveballs are hitting me in the side. Again, 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 again. That's self-flagellation. I thought, and, and Harrison did a great job. And Clancy was so evil in that scene and was taking such pleasure in hurting this kid. So that's it. I mean, it was, it was just a great run. It was a great season and the hardest thing I've ever done. Well, to do it all, to do it all was just you and Scott were the only two writers there the entire time. You were away from your family for six months. You're wrapped up. I mean, for those who weren't there, Clyde Phillips, you never <laughs> saw his face. It was just his eyes the whole time. He was goggled and I everything. Ski goggles, ski goggles <laughs> and a gator. Um, and... But you did a masterful job of navigating this uh, this incredible ship. So thank you for I should, I should also thank you. I should, I should also mention Bill Carraro, our line producer, mm -hmm. line executive producer, who just made the impossible possible all the time and kept a lot of problems away from me. Uh, you know, as you know, at um, out at where the cabin was, uh, there was a thaw. The lake thawed, the the, the snow melted. Bill, Bill got a road crew out there on a, over a weekend and built new roads for all of us um, so that we could actually make the show happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was like a whole we had, mud time. Like it was Yeah, just, it was World War I trenches. It really was. And then COVID. You know, we shot this show during COVID, 250 people, and nobody got sick. Nope. Uh, we were tested six times a day, six times a week, rather. And if we want to be in what's called zone A, so we can be near the actors, uh, because the actors are not wearing masks, of course, then we have to be tested multiple times. We all stayed healthy. It's just unfortunate that all the publicity photos show me in a mask and Michael Hall smiling, you know. <laughs> You're smiling underneath. We feel the smile yes. okay. through the mask. On the inside, yes. On the inside. Um, Claire, uh, Clyde, this is wonderful. So I think we need to move on to the man of the moment uh, who is taking on whatever might be in the future. If there is something, Gary Levine, I hope you hear us. Uh, so Harrison, uh, we have on today, Jack Alcott, who, of course, of course, you know, Jack from the good Lord Bird also on Showtime. But guys, you definitely know him now from Dexter New Blood. He's Dexter's son, by the way. Uh, so uh, Clyde, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for going down the road of bringing Michael back and having these conversations and, uh, yes, thank and doing you. all that. And for hiring my mustache. I appreciate that. <laughs> we only did it because of Sarah. Yeah. She's pretty great. She's pretty great. Yeah. Clyde, before we go to Jack here and this wonderful conversation, any words on Mr. Alcott himself? Well, first of all, give him my love. Um, <laughs> we, we were so lucky to get him. We knew the moment we saw him. I'd watched all of Good Lord Bird, and we we pursued him pretty hard. And he's a great actor, a great guy. Was always training. He trained for baseball. He trained for wrestling. He trained for uh, stunt fighting. Trained for kissing Audrey. He uh, he and he would always elevate the set. I mean, he was always in a great. He's like a puppy. I mean, he was yeah always in a great mood, always running around, fucking around. And uh, he's very agile. As, both as an actor and as an as an athletic young man, um, and uh, I miss him. He's a pretty great guy. 
And I think you're all will enjoy how great he is right now. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Well, Jack, here we are, both in our closets in the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts, <laughs> and Claire in a beautiful studio. Uh, welcome to our show today. Welcome to Fanatics. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. David has spoken so highly of you, and I love to have people that <laughs> David knows and loves, and you love bowling. That's what we're talking about today. I do love bowling. I do. I, I love it a lot. It's been it's been a while. I've loved it since I was very little. It's it's sad. While we're in Massachusetts, I haven't really been able to recently, you know, since the entire time I've been here because of uh, because of all the sort of the covid protocols and not going into public spaces. And I'm vaccinated now. So I think technically I probably could, but I didn't bring any of my any of my bowling balls with me, which I've done on other projects. So I don't I didn't bring my equipment. So I haven't I haven't gone yet. All right, let's start there. What what consists of bowling equipment? Obviously, the ball, mm-hmm. a ball bag. Yeah, what's at home when you say like balls? Like what? Like sitting at home right now is is what? <laughs> sitting at home, there are multiple bags. It's probably it's probably seven bowling balls I have. I think wow. that I've accumulated over the years. I've been doing it since I was probably ten or eleven just started as a fun thing and turned into something else. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's y- y- your ball, z- your bag, your shoes. Sometimes people will have multiple shoes or, you know, you'll have a shoe that has different bottoms that you can put on the shoe so that you slide differently oh. on the, you know, the, the approach of the lane. So if you want to, if it helps your follow through, you want a stickier shoe, you want a slipperier shoe, there's, there's that, there's, um, there's all sorts of stuff that, go, that can go on the ball, like things that affect how it reacts to the lane. There's stuff for your hands and your fingers, depending on how you throw. Like if, if you, if I was like a total like bowling gearhead, uh, the amount of equipment that you can have, like it's absurd. I don't tend to carry a ton. I just am like the ball, the bag, the shoes, and like a towel to wipe the ball off is usually you have what... seven bowling balls, Jack. I was I not prepared have... for that. I really <laughs> thought you were going to say three tops. And I was even that to me was like, wow, you he really likes bowling. Why do you have seven? How does seven get accumulated? And <laughs> I'm like flabbergasted. Different weights, right? <laughs> different weights, different like. Yeah, finger do they holes? have names? 
Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, each bowling ball that you get, it's, it's always drilled. You know, they measure every part of your hand and your fingers and the, every bowling ball is drilled exactly to your hand. And so, I mean, starting at 11, my hand was a little smaller then. So there's that aspect of it. But there's also, and then there's weights. My very first bowling ball was 11 pounds. Okay. Yeah, I believe I was 11 because I remember that being, I was like, oh, it's 11 pounds, I'm 11. And then... Uh, it goes, bowling balls go all the way up to 16 pounds. That's the heaviest. Most people throw 15 pound bowling balls. I'm not really sure why, but like on the pro circuit, it's it's very rarely is someone throwing a 16 pound ball for whatever reason. I think 15 is the maximum weight. You can throw it hard, but it also has all the, the momentum and the carry and, you know, pins go boom. Is that the sound they make? Yes, they go. They just go. They go boom mm. like that. Nice I can hear the sound though. They, it's like I can literally hear the sound of the pins going, and then the thing coming down. Technical. Is that funny? That's exactly memory right there. Yeah. Okay. So, so 11 pound ball. Now you bowl. Do you bowl with a fifteen pound ball now? I bowl a fifteen pound ball. I also bowl very weird, and I'll get into that when we we talk more about like how I got started. But yeah, the each bowling ball they not only are there different weights, but there'll be different weights inside of the ball. Like there are things that, that affect how it rotates. So there'll, you know, if you were to cut a bowling ball in half, just like a a bowling ball that you'd find like in a bowling alley, it's just one of the ones you pick up. It would just be plastic or it would be hollow. There's nothing in there. If you were to like take, you know, take a ball from somebody who, you know, bought it and it's, and uses it for their stuff. And you were to cut that in half, there's like a weight inside of it. And maybe the weight's a square. Maybe it's like, looks like a disc. Maybe it, the, the, the amount of like weird shapes that you'll find like inside a bowling ball, it's, it's pretty, I, and I couldn't, I mean, it, it, it affects the, the, the axis of rotation when you're, when you're throwing a ball. And so, but I, I couldn't tell you how the different shapes affect what, but, uh, that and then each ball has a different cover stock. So just like the material that it's made of, there's plastic, there's urethane, polyurethane, polyurethane. But so they just grip the lane different. So something that's kind of rougher. Obviously, if I spin it really hard, it's gonna grab the lane and and curve really hard, as opposed to like a plastic ball. So that I have lots of different balls that have different weights inside, that have different cover stocks, that also have you know are measured differently because my hand grew as I got older, but that, that's why I have, that's why I have seven. I probably use like three, three. I was going to say about yeah. three now. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So <laughs> we all know about what makes, you know, a football illegal in playing in the Super Bowl or, you know, some of the, these other sport equipment things, what makes a bowling ball illegal? Like what do you do to the bowling ball so that it's not regulation and you technically should not be bowling with it? This actually, this actually just came up for me recently because there was a, they added a new rule about how many holes can be in the ball because there used to be a thing where like people would like drill extra holes into the ball, like at a spot that like maybe your, your fingers totally don't go there. Like your fingers are, you know, in the front and you know, then extra large holes like drilled on the side or on the back or, Uh and that in itself also can really affect the way the ball rotates or grabs the lane. And you could really... And, you know, you, if you were to buy a used ball, you might, it might like have like polka dots on it that are holes that were filled, which is very weird. But so the, the, there's a new rule and uh, the PBA, the professional bowling association, professional bowling, professional bowling association. I feel like it's yeah, an association. I don't know what I, else I bowled a little bit too. I only had yeah. one ball, but it was a good one. <laughs> 
Don't spread that um, around, David. It's <laughs> there. <laughs> um, they uh, there's a new rule that's like you, there cannot be any holes in your ball that your fingers or thumb don't go into. Oh, mm. so that's 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 a big one now. Which also if all of most of my bowling balls have three finger holes. The thing is, I throw two handed and I don't put my thumb in the ball. What? And so all of my old balls, I can't throw anymore. If I were to if I were to get back into any pro or semi pro stuff, which I you know I don't have any plans to do. But you know if I were, I I need to get a whole new set of bowling balls that only had the two finger holes. So the approach is a two. I I bowl a two-handed approach. I am not a professional bowler. I just enjoy bowling. But but then I release and go back in one hand. So how do you do two hands? Are you releasing with two hands? Pretty or are much. Or you backswinging with two hands and then releasing with one? Uh, the, the most important part for the two hands is, is the backswing and just keeping me from injuring everyone behind me. But yes, <laughs> I, do, I do release with two hands and it allows me to get more of a spin on the ball. Like I torque the living crap out of the ball. I'll, you know, as a kid, when I threw slower, like I would line up all the way on the left side of the lane and I would throw towards the right gutter. Like I throw across the lane and it would float out and it'd be about to go in the gutter and then it would snap back into the middle. Well, that's what um, I see professional bowlers do. Like I grew up in, a, in New Jersey doing high school bowling league just for just for kicks, nothing nearly professional like you. And I never bowled the correct way. I, I always just try to do my best to kind of get it straight down the lane. But no... Every good professional bowler does exactly what you're doing. Okay, how did you get into all this? I, I have so many more questions because you're, <laughs> I did not expect. We, we've talked about, you know, when we, I was mentioning like, hey, let's do this podcast. And you're like, yeah, let's do bowling. I grew up doing bowling. This is this is already, I'm 100% more surprised at the <laughs> level and depth of your bowlingness. And it makes me very happy. How did it all begin? What's your bowling origin story? What's your story? origin story? Yes. Uh, my bowling origin story is, is um, maybe this is just people I knew or maybe it's just a Tennessee thing. I'm from Nashville. You know, like little boys just went bowling with their dads. Like that was a thing that like I did frequently as a little kid. And like my friends did it too. And, like, it's not like we would all go in a group, but like every now and then like, oh, I went bowling with my dad and I would and I would go bowling with my dad. And, you know, like with the bumpers up and, the you know, it just was it was just a fun thing we did. Um, and my brother would come and it was, and it was great. And I remember one day I saw this kid who was, who looked my age or a little younger. So, you know, he was probably nine, uh, and he had his own bowling ball and I'd never seen that before. And I was like, Whoa, it's like shiny. Like <laughs> it's <laughs> it was got, extra it's, shiny. it was extra shiny. It wasn't dirty and gross. Like, you know, the, the balls you find in a bowling alley, I was like, Oh, that's like, got colors and stuff like wow and he picked it up and he and he held it with his with two hands and then just sort of like flung it with two hands and it was spinning really fast and he got a strike and i was like <gasps> like i've never seen like what is this sorcery like i've never seen this before and i was like oh i'm just gonna i'm, I'm gonna do that i'm gonna try that and i i picked up the bowling ball and i just sort of like chunked it down the lane with with two hands and just happened to get a strike it was like oh <laughs> bowling's easy so, so you can credit this nine random nine-year-old with your two hand uh your two-hand form for the rest of your life yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then how did you get so did you start bowling more often and did you join a league at that age that's exactly right i started bowling more often because it was like oh this is this is kind of fun and my dad enjoyed going with me and so we would go all the time and then we joined like a father son like saturday morning league that's cute 
And then, and of course, who I end up running into in that league. And then eventually, years later, playing on the same team is the kid who I saw bowling. His name was Will. That is so and, funny. And he was very good. And uh, we and we bowled the same way, <laughs> which was neat. But uh, yeah, so I, I bowled really, I bowled every Saturday and then sometimes for fun during the week. But I bowled every Saturday with my dad. Uh, and then when my brother was old enough, he joined us and did this sort of youth league but and, and a father-son league. And then that, that turned into another league that was like a little bit more of a competitive youth league. And somewhere around there, like... I started high school, I believe as, a, as an eighth grader, I started bowling for my high school's bowling team like a year early, which was really, really fun. Because, you, you know, most high school. with bowling. Yeah. You bowled up. Not, <laughs> yes. And not because I was like a prodigy, but because like our bowling team sucked. I love that you had a junior high bowling team, though. No, we, feels, we didn't have a junior high bowling specific. team. High we didn't have a junior high bowling team. Oh, I in junior high bowled in the oh, high school bowling team. Oh, oh, I, oh, yes. Okay, I'm following now. I, um, okay, I'm with you guys. <laughs> because they were terrible. I mean, there were some really good bowlers on the team, but as a you team, were a ringer. garbage. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I was I was pretty okay at that point. And then I bowled all through high school, and that was that was when I bowled the most because you know when 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 there wasn't a match, we still had practice, and we had that like every day. And so I was I was in the bowling alley all the time and did what that were you all bowling? through high school. What was the scores that were happening? You know, like were they in the two hundreds pretty consistently? Like I th- yeah, I think probably towards the the beginning of high school, my average was the was the high one eighties into the one nineties, and then once I uh, was once later in high school, I was the low two hundreds, and then my my most recent like sanctioned average that I can remember was is two twenty four. I'm definitely not at that level. Like, if I were to go bowl right now, it would not look like that. But um, best best score, quick. What was the best score you ever had? Perfect game. Wow. <gasps> How many times? Only once. Only once. Uh, I've what, gotten close. Tell us many about times, that moment. But... Tell us about that game. Like, as frame by frame, as you're going through, and you're like, <laughs> okay, that's another carryover. Okay, that's 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 another that's another strike. I'm still care. What was going on in your mind? It, oh, it was, it was like me as hard as I can going, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Cause every time I do that, I start, I get in my own head because I mean, it's, it's a such a mental game because when it comes down to it, once you figure out how to throw a strike, it's just about consistency and repeating exactly what you did the last time. And very, as the game goes on, very slowly making these infinitesimally tiny adjustments as the lane as the oil on the lane breaks down because lanes are oiled in different patterns and, you know, which is a whole nother thing. But, um, no, that day I remember, you know, it's like stringing like six strikes together was not a new, that was like, yeah, that was great. And then, you know, six becomes eight, which becomes nine, which, and it's like, I've, I've bowled, man, I think the most, the highest number of strikes ever bowled in a row is probably 14 or 15, but it was always over two, it was across two games. So neither of them was ever a perfect game. It didn't connect. Right. Yeah. Was this in a tournament or was it like a friendly game, a, a game with your dad? This was in just like a friendly game with friends. And by, by the time I was at the end of the game, like half of the bowling alley had like had migrated to my really? <laughs> to my table. And I'm just I'm just like sweating because it's like I'm bowling for fun. This shouldn't be nerve wracking at all. But I'm now there's everyone's watching <laughs> and like. I'm trying not to think about it or look at the people who are watching. Are your friends saying things to you or are they like dead silent? I think, yeah, somebody definitely was like, uh, don't miss it. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> don't, don't do that right now. 
Like, now is not the time. I've never done this before. Let me let me screw myself up. If I screw it up, let it be my fault. <laughs> like, so, so what is your mental preparation each time you... And obviously, this perfect game, you know, is an example, but maybe not the best example because you weren't in a tournament. What's your mm-hmm. mental preparation each time before you go to actually bowl in a, in uh, like physically <laughs> bowl, you know, each frame. I mean, really for, for me, honestly, this, this is a good question because this is always really different for different bowlers. And it's it, in high school was the most fun and also infuriating part of the game was how it was like evaluating your mental game versus your opponent's mental game. And like, and how how can you use that or take advantage of that? And for me, it really has just always been like, just, just stop thinking about it, dude. Like, just breathe and just throw the ball. Like, you know what you're doing. You've been doing this for a gazillion years. Just throw the ball. Like, I know where I'm aiming. It's all, most of it's just all muscle memory and not overanalyzing or talking like, go oh, three boards. Do you stare down ball, your opponent <laughs> ever or ever give him like little her, him or her side glances? <laughs> or like- I was... Ah, gosh, I was a little bit of a of a terror in the in my like high school bowling circuit and not in a good way (laughs) because I I mean, I'm an actor and I was doing that in high school as well. And so I I was doing lots of things, but I really enjoyed bowling and I, I always was doing that as well. But it wasn't what I was spending all of my time on and one of one of my favorite things and it's one of the most interesting things about i think the sport of bowling is the people that the sport attracts whether it's in high school or you're you know or you're an adult like but you know for example in high school it's like what groups of people decide that early this is my thing like bowling and within that, there are all these different types of people. There's like bowling jocks who are like, yeah, I've been bowling since I was four. And I'm like, you know, I'm hot shit. And I'm like really good at bowling. And it's like, I've got 12 bowling balls. And it's, they're very like, kind of like bowling jocks. And then there are like, then there are bowling nerds who are like really, they're just, they're, they're equally good, but they can't talk to people. Their like confidence is on a, it's just somewhere else. It's like they, they they can only engage with the ball and the pins, and it's like they're talking to themselves as they walk back from the approach. I'm going to move three boards left. I'm going to pull the release. I'm going to go back, and it's it's it's, it's creepy almost. <laughs> like, and uh, and then there are people in high school who are it's like you know oh well I don't I don't really feel like I fit in anywhere else, and this is where I found my community, and and uh, and then that's a whole other world of people that that. Uh, is cool to interact with, but um, so who were you? <laughs> which one were you? Which which table did you set sit at it, or which lane were you? And dare I say that metaphor? I was the guy who was just like I would generally was that or tried to be. I did not always succeed. Was the guy who was like I'm here to have a good time. Let's bowl some bowling. Let's go throw the pins at the ball. You know, like it just it was like a, and that often was disarming to to people in a in the really hardcore setting like you know on a normal match where it's like you know it's our team versus the other school's team everybody's having a fun time and you know there's 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 some room for dicking around and and you know and we we all knew each other and it was great but uh you get to like a tournament you get to the state tournament you get to you know uh, you get to some other sort of individual youth tournament and it's like nobody talks to each other like every, it's almost like do 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 these people hate each other like it's it's very it's very intense and uh i was known for 
not being that way. I like I if I had an opponent who I felt like had maybe a weaker mental game, someone who like w- could be thrown off because you know you'd ever want to be like, hey, don't mess up, guy. Like I don't be rude. <laughs> That's just poor sportsmanship. But what I would do is if I were if I were to be cough. Pl- <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I, hopefully, I've never done that while someone's bowling. But <laughs> while I, um, you know, if there's someone I'm playing that I definitely, I'm like, okay, they're definitely teetering on the edge of like being able to keep their stuff together. I would like go sit at their table and mm-hmm. order a pizza. Oh, and then be eating pizza while I was bowling. And meanwhile, they're like, you know, they like, they like have a hand wiping routine before they go to each thing and they dry their, they dry their hands before they do. And it's like, this guy's like, I'm like loudly chewing pizza. Like, ah, man, how are you doing? Like, it's been a minute. It's, I, it's been months since I've bowled. Like, what's, what, what have you been up to, man? And, and, you know, the right per- people would just be like, I, 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 you know, you're, I'm, I'm good. And, and then would just be fully. What's the biggest, what's the biggest, like, sportsmanship faux pas in bowling is it that is it you know what do you mean eating like, while you're bowling is it talking to other people is it coughing when someone's ready to bowl what is it like the worst thing you could do oh the worst thing you could do um i mean make yeah purposefully making noise while someone is throwing the ball whether it's a <laughs> cough or a yell or something like that like that would be that would be a big no-no. Like that, that's well, w- never even a thing that I happens. I remember you don't. You definitely don't bowl when the other person next to you is. You bowling. You also do not do that. Yeah, that's that's a common one. Making that sure really can mess you up. You have yeah. You know, you're taking turns. Uh, and then any, anything else, it's just like you know being a good like being a good sport. Like I, there were people who um, I I don't think I ever did this. I might have did this once or twice when I was younger. I tried not to, but like there were other bowlers I definitely saw it happen with who like you know they would miss a thing and they would like kick the ball return or something like that and like you know no yeah just just be a good sport don't throw a fit like don't act like a a jackass but yeah in terms of faux pas I think probably purposefully like you know (laughs) like when someone's throwing would be a big no-no like that would be that would be really bad so how much how much do you bowl today and is it weird not bowling competitively or do you still even when you're just having a good time with friends find yourself being like well i gotta win (laughs) in terms of you know not counting right now because we're we're in massachusetts i probably would bowl i'll probably bowl once or twice every two weeks you know maybe we could go by and we'll go bowling or sometime we'll go by but you know i I try to get in there every now and then and sometimes it's just by myself because i really just do enjoy Throwing the ball. When I go with friends, it's so funny because my friends are always like, oh, I don't want to go bowling with you. Like, uh. or, you know, when we do go bowling, everyone's like, oh, everyone's going to, you know, everyone try to beat Jack. And it's just like, that's, uh, I'm going to sound like a major dude. I like all your friends are the Hulk, by the way. Everybody's the Hulk. Everybody's bigger <laughs> than me and like large. I feel very comfortable around these guys. No one's ever going to beat me up. <laughs> For me, I, I love bowling with my friends and I'm just sort of like, you're, you know, you're not going to, we're, but we're bowling next to each other. We're not bowling against each other because that's not fun for anybody. My friends who bowl, like my, and my, my little brother is all my, my little brother's very good. And so when I go with my brother, we'll frequently beat each other. Like he's, he's very, very good. And uh, we'll do a thing where like the winner of the previous game gets to choose both of our names 
on the oh, how they fun. appear. So it's it'll start Jack and Sam, and then like you know, <laughs> and then like game two, like you know he'll win, and game two, you know he'll be Magnum, and I'll be like Peen or something horrible. <laughs> 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 up there for everyone to see. That's exactly. the other thing about bowling nowadays. Like the old score sheets, you could be private with your game. If you had an off game, you know, that was your business. Now it's everyone's business. You know, it's yeah. all up there for the whole alley to check out your abilities. Everybody's and looking. <laughs> like, oh no, Peen had a rough game. That's not that's not too good. Like what what is it like in the bowling community at large? What is the opinion or initiative to get bowling into the Olympics? You know, you have like curling, you have these other sports that are akin to bowling, but bowling, it made the final eight list. I think it was uh, last year, but it's still not in. So what, what does the community think about that? I mean, as someone who's definitely as of right now, very out of touch with like the bowling community, because it's just not where I've been spending my time. This where my answer is coming from. I, um, I would say, yeah, I mean, it should, it should totally be an Olympic sport. Like. It's Absolutely, weird. It it's not sport. if you think about it. Like for yeah. the things they've let in that are like bowling, even like archery is kind of like bowling. You know, you have something, yeah. you shoot it. You know, it's it's it Golf seems is like, like bowling, bowling. Like needs to be. So, are people fanatical about getting it into the Olympics in the bowling community? Um, I would imagine so, but like I think it's probably either quietly or I just haven't met the the get the bowling into the Olympics. Uh. People who are like, you know, really rabid about it. Like that's that's those I've not had those conversations, but yeah. I mean, it's always been just sort of like a general. Yeah, it should be. It should be in the Olympics. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Jack, my favorite thing about this podcast is learning why. Like, you love it. You loved it from a young age and you still enjoy even today. I I honestly thought you were going to say casually that you maybe you go like once a month or something. The fact that you go like once or twice, like every other week kind of thing is that's you're you're into it. Um, and then you even go alone. So what is it like What when you find yourself wanting to go alone? Is it because you just does it make you feel good? Does it put you in a in a good mindset? Is it something that reminds you of? childhood what is it that sort of you think you know what's the driving force of this uh this passion of yours that's a great question and, and i think there's probably there's there's a bunch of answers um because right. there's, <laughs> there's there's so many there's so many things i love about it i mean like I, I the the bowling alley that i go to when i'm home is is the bowling alley that i like grew up going to so to the point that i, I still know a lot of the 
the staff there and, you know, and sometimes have, have bowled against them in tournaments. I'm like, you know, um, so I, I know people there and there's, there's a sense of like, I don't know. It's that place. Like I, I grew up going there. Like it's, it's just a nice, it's a nice place to be. The pizza slaps. It's really good. Their, <laughs> their Coke ices are just so perfect. So, and I'm used to bowling there. So I bowl better there than, than other places. And then in terms of like, cheers. The, it's where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of just actually bowling, I, I don't know. It's whether it's with friends or whether it's by myself. I think there's there's almost something therapeutic about it for me. Just there's like, I mean, because obviously there's a lot of repetition. It's a sport that you definitely, you can like, you can zone in and you can really like get minute with the, with how, you know, with the details and where you're putting the ball, where you're aiming and how you're adjusting and all this. But you also don't, but you also can like, just go throw the ball down the lane. Like it, it, it does both. Like you, you can, you can grab a beer and some pizza and huck some balls down the lane, have a good old time. Or you can be like, I'm going to try to, you know, I'm going to try to beat my, my high series. I'm going to try to, you know, do that. And then, and then there's a part of me that's like, I like being good at stuff and it's something I know I'm good at. And so like having a good day and be like, you know, you can sort of be like, yeah, I'm good at stuff. Like just being able to it makes <laughs> sort you feel say good that. to do something well. You know what I mean? And and yeah. and it's funny. I grew up swimming and every time we'd show up to a swim meet, we'd be like, is this a fast pool or a slow pool? Like and a pool's a pool. But everybody, every athlete has their perception of, you know, if it's fast or a slow you know, situation. Is that true with bowling? You kind of mentioned like the way the lanes are oiled. Are, are there such things as like fast alleys where like you can really chuck the ball at a higher speed and slow alleys where you feel like somehow the lane isn't like surfaced correctly? Does Absolutely. That exist? Oh, 100%. And I mean, this gets, this gets ticky tacky. Like there's, <laughs> that's one of the, the, cool, the interesting things about bowling is, is the way that the lanes are oiled. It's every bowling alley is is different, and the most in the most broad, the most broad version of it, there's um there'll be two types of what are called shots, which is basically just how the lane is oiled. There's a house shot and there's a sport shot. A house shot is like what you experience like a hundred percent of the time. Anytime you go bowling with friends, anytime you're ever in a bowling alley, you are probably bowling on a house shot, and basically that'll mean like. It's really oily in the middle of the lane and it's drier on the sides of the lane. So that if you have any sort of rotation on your ball, it's going to sort of naturally keep it out of the gutter. If you throw it and it floats out to the right side, that little curve will bring it back in. If you're, cur if you, if you're spinning it and it's in the middle, it'll keep slipping and it'll stay in the middle. It's sort of, th there's a much wider margin for error on a house shot. And that's, you know, people want, you know, People want to be good at stuff and the bowling alley wants you to have a good time. So house shot is what you're going to experience 99.9% .9 of the time. A sports shot is what is used in PBA events and tournaments and stuff like that. And uh, it's, it's, it's so much hard. It's like, it, I feel if you watch bowling on TV ever, which I don't, I cannot stand to watch bowling. It's, I find it very boring. <laughs> like I, I like to play golf. So I'm terrible, which by the way, I'm terrible at golf, but I like to play golf sometimes. I could never watch golf on TV. I just, that's not my thing. Um, did you try, did a coach ever say like, you got to watch a game, just this guy, see this guy and you're like, all right. And then you're like, oh God, no, like I have to, I have to play. Yeah. No one ever told me to watch a game. Cause there's usually, there was at that point, there was nobody's, there wasn't really anybody for me to emulate because I throw the ball so wonky. Um, <laughs> it's very, 
it's it's not even just like throw two hands. It's like there's like a skip and a hop, and it's like it's kind of violent. Like it's, <laughs> it's ping pong. It's ping pong. It's bowling ball. Fifteen pound ping pong. Hey, what's your favorite bowling sensory element? Like, is it the smell, the sound when you walk mm. into a you know a bowling alley? It's definitely it's definitely the sound for me. It's like there's. Yeah. And I used to do this, this, oh God, I used to do this horrible thing in high school, uh, where I, and I, I, who am I kidding? I still do it. Um, where I, um, I would do it in tournaments though. That's what was not great. Uh, is I, I had, I had practiced, I'd really, you know, memorized my throw and what it looks like and how long it takes the ball to get to the pins. And I mean, you, you, I've been doing it long enough that generally, at least on a house shot, which is easier, literally the second the ball comes out of my hand and touches the lane, I could tell you whether or not it's going to be a strike. I'll be like, oh, yep, that's good. Or like, oh, it came out wrong. That's not a strike. It's like, I I, know, I generally have a good sense of where the ball's going. And I got really good at timing when the ball was going to like, <laughs> when the ball was going to hit the pins. And what I would do is I would like throw the ball and just walk off and not look at it. <laughs> and in tournaments, like in tournaments, I actively, I would do that. I would throw it and I would instantly walk off and I would like make eye contact with the person I was bowling against and be like, like when it, you know, do a little crotch chop when I knew it was going to hit the pins. And so you get that motion with, and it's like, you know, most people were like, what the hell is this guy doing? But every now and then that would really screw up my opponent. They'd be like, oh, oh my God. Like, like he's not even watching for the end. Yeah, like, who's this guy? Like, <laughs> He's a magician. Well, it's the theater of it. That's why, I mean, that's the actor in you who's just like, let's make a show. You know what I mean? Who doesn't Who doesn't love a good touchdown dance? Who doesn't love a good, you know, bat flip? I mean, it's a great, great part of Indeed. the sport. So th- those were your, those were like, your moments. It's like you were bowling with a blind landing there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kingpin or Big Lebowski? Mm, Big Lebowski. Um, and it's been years and years and years and years since I've seen Kingpin. I need to watch it again, but, uh, I mean, it's, and it's hard just not to say Big Lebowski cause it's the Big Lebowski, but those, uh, those, all those scenes of the bowling alley, man, like to a, de- to a degree, like that is, those are the characters that you find in a bowling alley. Like the people who like bowling, this is my thing. Like you have like the dudes and you have the, the John Goodman character, like you and, and Donnie, like you have everybody, all of those people exist in real life <laughs> and are people that you will see if you go to a bowling alley, like a Tuesday night, you know, a Tuesday night advanced league, everybody's really good. And, you know, everybody's pissed that they're not, you know, that you can't smoke inside anymore. And like, which is hilarious. Cause like, you know, if it's an old bowling alley, the ashtrays are like built into the equipment, which is hilarious. But yeah, no, all of those people are real. And I mean, it's, it's impossible to not just, love. I mean, I love John Goodman and the Big Lebowski so freaking much. It's so funny. Um, so yes, the Big Lebowski. Isn't it funny when you watch a movie like that and you're in the sport, you know, that you realize the stereotypes, ex- stereotypes exist for a reason because they are true. You know, mm, it's mm-hmm. really true. Okay. One, one more question I have is, you know, I'm a novice bowler, so I obviously bowl with the bowling balls that are provided by the alley. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I always have my thumb in the hole. Where do you put your thumb? What are you doing with your thumb if it's not going in a hole? It Where's just it sits on the ball like my other fingers. So it's like if these go in, it's just here. So you're it's just like you're okay. So it's just like out. It's cradling, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's cradling exactly because the way that I turn the ball, I tried it with my thumb 
in, like when I when I with my yeah. thumb in the hole as when I was younger and almost broke my thumb. It was like oh, it's like the way I because flipped the thumb, it, it the way like I didn't learned... come off my thumb, and I was like okay, yeah, because the way I learned to bowl is wherever your thumb is pointing is where the ball is going, going, which. Oh. Oh, that was really... just my, you know, the way my uncle and my dad taught me. No, that so, makes sense. I've never heard that. Totally makes sense. Yeah. So if the thumb, so but then if the thumb is outside the ball, I wonder if that still holds true. If it's more the center of gravity is now more like around the middle, the middle fingers, yeah. the palm, the middle fingers, here. and the and the palm of the hand. I think uh, okay. if your if your thumb's way out here. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't because of the way I throw it. Like it, the, the the ball doesn't roll straight off my hand. It comes off like. It, so now it, your bowling scooped. balls only have two holes in them. My Is most that... recent bowling ball, the one that the most recent one I bought only has two holes. All the other ones that like, I've had for years and years and years. Yeah. So if I were to go bowl in a tournament right now, I would only be able to use one ball. And like, I right. really use two. Like I have a strike ball and a spare ball. My spare ball is the, the 11 pound ball that I used and I was really, really little. It's super old and it doesn't have a weight in it. So I can you throw just throw straight. that now. You just throw that overhand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I shot at it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you name any of these balls? Well, see, the thing I don't because they're already named. Like the you oh. um, by the companies. Like the each one is a different model. Oh. But it's not but like you didn't you give know, them like Lisa and and Charlene and Penelope. My smallest, my 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 oldest one, which is the eleven pound one. I, I I thought it was really you could in, you could engrave something if you wanted, and I was like, oh, I'm put my name on it. And so it's this like little the 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 finger holes are tiny and it's so light and this in teeny teeny like laser engraving just says Jack. So maybe you could say my oldest bowling ball is is uh, is named after me, but that sounds kind of douchey. So <laughs> you're you're throwing yourself. Let's I'm let's talk about this. that. It's a metaphor. Uh, so, so I always like to end. We like to end with a love letter, a love letter to bowling. And speaking of love, though, does there ever, was there ever like a girl that you impressed before we were done? Like, was there ever a girl who was like, Jack, I love how you handled <laughs> oh. that ball. Or oh my this, god! Or did this uh, help hurt, or was it neutral to your, to your high school game and current game? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know anything about current game because I'm. Because I'm stuck in a closet doing a podcast, but uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, God, that's a good question. I mean, I I think most people probably thought it was like you bull, like okay, like I guess that's not a red flag, but like I have questions, like, and then yeah, people, it, yeah, anytime I was, I, I will say there were there were one or two young ladies who I bowled against uh, in different leagues who were like really good. And I was like, wow. And you kicked my ass in bowling. <laughs> Damn. And of course that, you know, that, that never went anywhere. But for me, I was like, wow, you're good at bowling. Like I don't even, wow. That's mm -hmm. you're put in your place. Yeah. <laughs> so here you go, Jack. Dear bowling, how would you what would you say to bowling if you could just speak a love letter to it and how it's how it's how it's done to your life? What has it done in a positive <laughs> way? Oh geez, yeah. I mean, dear bowling, like you you have been there for me for quite a long time. Uh you 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 bring me peace sometimes and other times you maybe want to tear my hair out. So we really really cover the spectrum with the feelings that I get from <laughs> you, oh, bowling. Um, it's, it's always a place that I, 
a bowl, like a bowling, like a good, clean, not shitty bowling alley. It's like always a place where like we'll sort of feel kind of like home, just very comfortable. And like there's sort of a sense of like, you know, the shoulders relax and you walk in. You're just like, ah, yeah. Thank you. Well, I feel my shoulders are relaxed. (laughs) I know when you said that, I was like, oh, I need to relax my shoulders, too. (laughs) So, Claire, I just kept thinking about you the entire conversation because I was just thinking, like, how competitive do you get when you're bowling? Because I know Um, you're competitive. I mean, I never played on a league, but definitely friends, family, birthday party, anytime I'm in a bowling alley, it's very competitive because I like to win. (laughs) And I don't like to lose, David. That's the other side of liking to win is you (laughs) also don't like to lose. So absolutely very competitive. Now I, you know, as we mentioned in the podcast, now you're, it's all done electronically. I feel like it's a, a little bit of like the fun is lost in like manually, like, you know, shading in that little square and like putting the line through. And, you know, there's a little bit of the art of bowling that's been lost now that it all is electronically figured. But the other side of that is now your score is projected for the entire alley to see. So if you have a bad game, it's, it's, you know, broadcast for the world in the bowling alley. Claire, have you ever been to Montrose, that little cute little strip in Montrose where there's this little bowling alley? I actually, I have rented out a eight lane bowling alley twice in my adult years just to have a private party. It's well, not that very expensive. I think maybe the whole thing cost me. I think one time I literally paid like, I think 150 bucks to rent out this what? little eight lane alley. You should do it for your kids. But they have the old projector. It was the bowling alley from the moving Pleasantville. Oh my so- gosh. No, I have not been there. There was one bowling alley in New York City that we used to go to, which was on the third floor, like somewhere around 18th and like fifth or sixth. Kind of forgetting now. It's been several years. And then, of course, in L.A., we have Lucky Strike and we have, you know, Jerry's pins, Jerry's and then Corp. Corbin Bowl, which is out in Woodland Hills type yeah. area. Mm-hmm. But no, I I have to go to this alley. That sounds great. And it's projectors. It's like old timey projectors. And so you write it on like cellophane, your scores. Ooh. And then it like takes, you know, it looks down at the cellophane and then reverse projectors. It's like the overhead they used in school. Where yes, they were, where exactly. <laughs> before exactly. you knew when they pulled down that screen that there was going to be a rolling cart coming in yeah. with like the overhead projector. Yeah. But Love I definitely that. remember growing up, I was in a bowling league and it was probably like 15 years old at the time. And I was me and my buddy were in the league and we always had a third. And the third guy was always some rando they gave us. And so this kid was an interesting guy and he got so excited one day and he like that. I think he bowled. A, maybe he came back and he bowled a strike and he like put his both of his arms out wide like a like a airplane and just was so excited like yeah and he smacked me right in the <laughs> nose and I got a bloody nose and I'll never forget it and I s- still enjoyed bowling but I that that is my lame bowling story compared to Jack's uh, wonderful uh, demolishing uh, it's everyone. It's still a good bowling, bowling story. It's still <laughs> a good story. You know, I enjoyed hearing about all the additional add-ons I would call them. <laughs> From the from just the traditional ball and shoes, which is all the equipment I have ever. But I I was reminded that I really like to dry my hands on the air. Oh yeah, on the air dryer before each. 
time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's really important. And I also realized I bowl with a light ball. I like to bowl with like a 10 pound ball. What about you? I think the ball that I have back in my home in suburban New Jersey, I think it's, I think it was like 14 pounds. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure sh- I say that and I'm like, how did I lift that? But I think that's what I have. If if I was going to pursue a career in bowling, which listen, let's face it, if you're going to pursue a career in bowling, you can do it in any decade. So I'm still I feel like I could still, you know, enter into the bowling world if I wanted to, you know, world never give um, up, never give up. <laughs> it could happen. Never David. too late. And guess what? If it is made an Olympic sport, maybe I will, because I do want to be in the Olympics one day. I've narrowed this that down to archery, curling and then possibly bowling, because those are like things you don't have to necessarily be at peak physical condition to do. You know, I mean, yes, you need to master the skill of each of those things. I'm working on archery right now. I've practiced hmm. curling. <laughs> I will cheer you on. I will cheer you on. And if you guys want to cheer us on, uh, we love, by the way, if you don't mind, uh, rating and subscribing and all the lovely things. We love hearing from you both in uh, stars and clicks and comments and mentions and all the things. So any way you want to get in touch with us, we appreciate it. And thanks always for listening and coming down the lane with us. Memory lane, if you will. (laughs) I'm on pins and needles hearing what you say next. Yes. All right, and before you go, well, we're done with Dexter, right, guys? Actually, not quite, because we have on the man himself, Kurt Caldwell, yes, Clancy Brown from Highlander, from Shawshank Redemption, and of course, Mr. Krabs and Dexter Newblood. You just saw him for all those episodes, and he's with us next episode with his love of the Cincinnati Reds, guys. Step up to the plate. We got Clancy Brown. Let's keep this Dexter thing going because we're going back to Thursdays. See you then. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your Fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode. Hey, Jack likes to toss big balls down the lane. Crack of those pins. Hey, that ain't a shame causing... Dexter heads are rolling. In real life, Jack likes bowling. That guy ain't no turkey. Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.